is due to avidya, to ignorance. And consequently, the physical world and the world of human souls and the personal God are all conceived as projections, or he calls them superimpositions. The Godhead is one, absolute, satchit ananda, being, knowledge, and bliss, pure being, pure consciousness, and pure bliss. And that is the one beginning and the end of everything. And the whole created world is an appearance of the one. But an appearance which is real as long as you think it's real, as long as you live in this world and conceive the world as it stands, then it's real to you. But when you awake to wisdom, then you realize that all this is a passing dream. All the creation, all human souls, and the personal God disappear in the one supreme reality. And that, for most educated Hindus, is Vedanta. When I first came to India, I encountered it on every side, particularly in professors in the university, that kind of person. For them, that is the supreme wisdom. And you can see how attractive it is in a way. You see, they will say that Jesus and Christianity and the church and Buddha and Buddhism and so on, all these are manifestations of the one. They're beautiful in their way, but they will all pass away and only the one supreme reality remains. It's very attractive in its way, but it denies any ultimate reality to this world, to human existence, or to a personal God. Now, this provoked a great opposition in Vedanta, in India, and nearly all the other doctors of Vedanta, who are nearly all Vaishnavites, Vaishnavas of Vishnu, they uphold the personal God against this interpretation of Shankara. There was a real conflict. And modern Hindus tend to misinterpret that. They say that you begin with a dualistic view of God. You are here and God is there. You're two. And then when you're a little more de depth of understanding, you say that I am related to God. I am a part of God, manifestation of God. But still there is distinction between me and God. But when you reach supreme wisdom, then you realize that you and the personal God are both projections and only the one reality, Satchitananda, remains, you see. But in historic fact, it's the opposite. Shankara put forward that view, and Ramanuja, who was a, in the 11th century taught at Trichinopoly, town near our ashram, and he upheld the supreme reality is the personal God, Vishnu, Ishwara. And he interpreted everything in the light of the personal God. And his is a beautiful doctrine. And several Christians have written books and are writing books on him. And it's extremely attractive. Uh, whereas for Shankara, the Godhead is Nirguna, without attributes. For Ramanuja, God is Saguna. All auspicious attributes belong to God. He is goodness, he is truth, he is love, he is beauty, he is grace. Everything is given to God, you see. And you worship that supreme God full of all these paths and graces. And then human beings have fallen into this world of ignorance, of avidya and sin. And the grace of God, the prasad, is very strong in, in Vaishnavism. The grace of God comes to awaken you, to make you realize your sin, your ignorance, and to restore you to unity, and you are united with God in love. That is the end. So many people feel this is a 
the ideal Christian form. But unfortunately, and we'll see it in each doctrine, there is always some negative aspect. And in Ramanuja, God is not fully transcendent. The world, he says, his doctrine is fishista advaita. Shankara is advaita, non-duality. There's no duality between me and God, between this world and God is one. But Ramanuja is fishista advaita, qualified non-duality. And he says that God is qualified by the world. He uses various illustrations. It's like a lotus. It can be blue or red or yellow and so on, but the lotus remains the same. So God is like the lotus, eternally the one, the same, but he's qualified by the world and by souls, you see. They're sort of accidental aspects of God, which is really pantheistic, you see. Another and more profound illustration he gives is that God is like the soul and the world and human beings are like the body. So God dwells in every human being, in all creation, like the soul in the body. But then the soul is affected by the body, you see. It doesn't create the body. And so again, God is not fully transcendent. It's a beautiful doctrine. And when we criticize these doctrines, I think we must always bear in mind that they're based on a profound mystical experience. The same with Shankara, you see. When you put it into rational terms, I find it very unsatisfactory. But Shankara was a mystic, and they can't express adequately what they believe, and the language they use is nearly always unsatisfactory. So also with Ramanuja, it's beautiful in some ways, but it's unsatisfactory in others. And then the next stage was Madhva, who came from South Canada, present Karnataka state, in the 13th century, and he is a dualist, a writer. And he says, God, the world, and human beings are all different. And that, of course, is nearer to our Christian view in many ways. Uh, but it has very little following in India. Very little following. A few hundred thousand, I should think, probably. And again, it's not fully satisfactory because God doesn't create the world. The world, souls, and God are all eternal. God is Swatantra. He depends on himself alone. The world and, and human beings are paratrantra, they depend on God. It's a beautiful idea, but they're not created by God, and God is not fully transcendent. So it's fascinating, you see, to see how century after century they were pondering on this mystery of the personal God, its relation to the Godhead, its relation to the world, and each system of Vedanta comes up with some new understanding, century by century. And then another interesting doctrine is that of the Beda Beda. Beda means difference, Arbeda, non-difference. And the Beda Beda school says that the world and human beings are both different and non-different from God. And they use the illustration of the ocean and the waves. The waves are one with the ocean, and yet they're different from the ocean. So God is one, and the world is different from God, and yet not different. But that is really pantheistic, isn't it? Again, you see, it's not adequate. But they're trying to express this difference, this um, relationship, and seeking so many different ways. And that uh, doctrine of Beda Beda was held by Chaitanya, the Hare Krishna movement derives from Chaitanya, and that is the doctrine they hold, Achintya Beda Beda Tattvali inconceivable difference in non-difference. See, inconceivable, it's the transcendent mystery, both different and non-different. 
So those are the different ways in which the Vedanta has sought to express this relationship. And I would say none are quite adequate. Perhaps you, you can't find an adequate, but they've all got very definite limitations, and yet all are striving to express this amazing mystery. And what is so interesting, you see, is this, that whereas for us, the reality of the world is never questioned. The question is, does God exist? But for the Hindu, it's the exact opposite. That God exists is evident. He is Satchitananda, he is the reality. Does the world exist is the real problem. <laughs> Do we exist? <laughs> and nowadays, you see, with the growth of modern physics, we're beginning to wonder about the world, aren't we? You see, as, as you begin to go down below the atom to the subatomic world, to these electrons, you can't say whether an electron is a particle or a wave, and you can't be certain where it is. If they talk about probability movements, don't they? It's only a probability that it will appear there. So they begin to think more and more the world is unreal. All this... Uh, the surface of it has this appearance of reality, but when we come down to the bottom, we the waves of energy which simply seem to disintegrate. So the reality of the world is beginning to be called in question. But there it is. For the Hindu, God is the one reality, and how to relate human beings and the world to God is the problem. And that is why, you know, India is still permeated by this sense of God. It can be very corrupt in many ways, you know, it doesn't prevent you being a criminal in many ways, but it gives a sense of the sacred. And that is what people find as soon as you land in Bombay or anywhere, you feel yourself in another world. And whereas in the West, God is being pushed out and you've got to seek him to find him, in India, God pervades everything, it's everywhere. And how to relate the world and things, people to that God, that is the real problem. So, the ordinary Hindu today, I would say, tends to move between the two extremes. The one of Shankara, God alone is real, the world is unreal, and the other, that the world is God. It's a manifestation of God, and every human being, every created thing, is God in a particular form. And neither of those is acceptable, really, you see. We will not say the world is unreal, and we will not say that the world is God. And that is where I feel a Christian theology comes, a Christian Vedanta. See, starting from the revelation of the Vedas, and then seeing it in the light of Christ and the Christian tradition, we can frame a Vedanta which would avoid those extremes of saying that the world is unreal, or that the world is God. And that, I feel, is really a function of an Indian Christian theology, what we're seeking, you see. So now that takes us on to this question, how do we interpret all this in Christian terms? And I find, you see, that the key to Christian theology is the doctrine of the Trinity. And our founder, Father Moshe and I, you know, his whole life centered on the Trinity. He once said, uh, one object is Advaita and the Trinity. How to relate Advaita, the Advaitic experience of non-duality. And it's an experience, don't forget. It's not just a theory. It's a theory derived from an experience of non-duality. How to relate that to Trinity. And he meditated constantly on the Trinity. I was told even to the last hours of his life he was reflecting on the Trinity. 
And to me, more and more, it holds the key to everything. And you see, our doctrine is very profound. We don't say God is a person. God is not a person. God is interpersonal. See, the Godhead is interpersonal relationships. The Godhead is one Advaita without duality. There is no duality in God. But within that Godhead, there are distinctions of person. There are relationships, relationships of knowledge and of love. And Father Moshe and I used to say, you see, the Hindu will say, Advaita is supreme reality, trinity, you're coming into formal manifestation. It's a lower stage. But we would say the opposite, that Advaita is true, there is a non-dual Godhead, but within the non-dual Godhead, there are distinctions to see, distinctions of person, which means that within the Godhead, there is relationship. And this is profoundly interesting today because more and more, Western science sees the whole universe as a web of interdependent relationships. Everything is related to everything else. And I think we see human life more and more. We're not isolated individuals uh, separated from one another. We're all interrelated, members of a whole, members of the one body of Christ, of the whole of humanity. So the whole world is this web of relationships. And this stems from the Godhead. Within the Godhead, there is personal relationship. That's very wonderful, really. And what that means is, of course, that in the Godhead, there is love. You cannot have love without relationship. And that is the problem, you know, with Yahweh or Allah, the Muslim. God is a person, Yahweh, Allah. And you can say God loves or God is angry with man and so on, but you cannot properly say that that person is love, you see, because there's no relationship in, in Yahweh or Allah. And they find it difficult to get this relationship. But for us, in the Godhead itself, Jesus reveals that there is relationships. He said that, that God is love. And now, this whole question of the reality of this world as distinct from Brahman. You see, for the Hindu and also for the Buddhist and for the Easterner generally, they always tend to say that all distinctions, all differences, belong to the world of dualities, to the lower mind. And when you get beyond your lower rational mind, you go beyond the dualities, and no differences exist. In sunyata, in the void of Tibetan Buddhism or Mahayana Buddhism, or in Advaita, no differences remain. You've got beyond the dualities, and all is a non-dual being. Pure being, pure consciousness, and pure bliss, you see, absolute. But the differences are illusory. And again and again, you see, ultimately the world is illusory. God alone is real. Now, we assert that in the Godhead, there is a principle of differentiation in the Godhead. And that is the principle of differentiation in the world. The Son is different from the Father. And this is very interesting. You see, Jesus, in St. John's Gospel, speaks of himself in this relationship to the Father. I am in the Father, the Father in me. I and the Father are one. I once had a correspondence with Swami Ranganathananda, very well-known Ramakrishna Swami, who wrote a book, The Christ We All Adore. And it was a typical Hindu Christ, that Christ was a man who realized God. 
and he realized God in Advaita, non-duality. He knew himself as God, you see. And he quoted, I and the Father are one. That is Advaita. And I wrote back and said, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He did not say, I am the Father. That would be Advaita. Jesus could never say, I am the Father. It's profound, you see. And when we think of Jesus, we have to think, you know, the Greeks separated the humanity from the divinity and made their theology like that. But in the gospel, they're never separate. And Jesus says, I am the Father of one. I am in the Father, the Father in me. He who sees me sees the Father. And he's saying it temporally. In time, Jesus is in the Father, the Father in him, and he is revealing the Father, but also in eternity. He is in the Father, and the Father in him. And that is what is called circumincession or perichoresis. The Greeks had this beautiful idea that the three persons of the Trinity are all, it's a dance, perichoresis, a dancing round. They're all in one another, you see. There's only one, and yet there's the distinction. It's a marvelous thing. It's a dynamism, you see, within the Trinity. That is why Rublev's... Um, uh, icon is so marvelous, those three angels. It's very crude in a way, but it's so beautifully expressed that you see that they're all involved in one another, you see. And this, of course, is a model for humanity. We're all intended to be within that dance, dancing in one another, the parts of one another, sharing in this divine life. So in the Trinity, there is this perpetual dance, and the Father knows himself in the Son, and to know is to distinguish. You can't know without distinction. So the Father is distinct from the Son, and the Son knows himself distinct from the Father, as Jesus always distinguishes himself from the Father. But at the same time, the very moment that the Father distinguishes himself and knows himself in the Son, he unites himself in the Holy Spirit. The Son, the Logos, is the principle of differentiation in the Godhead, and the Holy Spirit is the principle of unification. And of course, there's no time. At the very moment that he distinguishes, he is united. So in the Godhead, there is perpetual distinction and unity. It's a little like the Veda Veda, in a sense. It's a great mystery, of course. But now, you see, this has tremendous repercussions in the world, because what it means is just as the Son comes forth from the Father and differentiates the Son from the Father in the Godhead, so the whole creation comes forth from the Father in the Son, and all the differences in creation derive from the principle of the Godhead. They're not an illusion. God willed all these differences. He willed all these differences of you and me and all the clothes we're wearing and the language we're using, and all the differences of, of the world, of plants and animals, and every leaf is different, even every atom is different. All these differences are willed by God and come from this principle of differentiation in the Godhead, the Logos. And just as the whole creation comes forth from the Father in the Son, so the creation has to return to the Father in the Spirit. And that should always be, that is, that is the, the Ritta, the Tao, the rhythm of the universe, you see. And sin is the failure to return to the Father. We come forth from God, you see, each distinct in his own individuality, his own person, a distinct reflection of God. 
But we must immediately return to the Father. We must immediately recognize our total dependence on him. But we don't. We stand on our own person, you see. We center on ourselves. And that is sin, and that is the cause of all conflict and division in the universe. It's not the distinctions which are wrong, but the separation, the division, the disintegration, you see. And so those two movements in Hinduism are called pravriti and nivriti. Pravriti is the coming forth of the whole creation from Brahman, and nivriti is the return of the whole creation to Brahman. And we say it comes forth in the sun with all its diversities willed by God, and it returns in the spirit, preserving all those diversities, you see. And in Advaita, in the ultimate reality, all these differences don't disappear. And this is, uh, this is very important, and there are many indications of it. I notice modern Hindus, some of the Ramakrishna Swamis, are beginning to insist more on that. Ramakrishna himself said that God is with form and without form. And you can go to God without form, Dadvaita, beyond, but again you can return to this world and see how everything is a manifestation of God. So they try to see how the world manifests God, and the differences are real, you see, manifesting God. But we can say without any difficulty that God is one non-dual being, and there are these distinctions within that non-dual being in the Godhead. Then the whole creation comes out with all its differences from God and returns to God into the unity of the Godhead, yet preserving the differences. It's a little difficult, you know, to, to formulate it or to conceive it, but it does mean that when we reach the fullness of reality, we don't lose our personal being. Every human person is unique reflection of the Godhead, like a distinct color. The Godhead is light and is manifesting all these colors. Each of us is a unique reflection of the Godhead, and that is eternal. In eternal life, each one of us uniquely reflects the Godhead, and all alike are reflecting the one Godhead. There's a beautiful image in Plotinus where he speaks of how in the final state it's like a lot of mirrors reflecting one another. There's only one light, but that light is reflecting itself in you and me and in the world around us. And in the ultimate state, we're all reflecting the one light and all reflecting one another. So it's, it's a non-dual reality with all, all dis differences, separations have disappeared, but the distinctions remain. You see, the beauty of the whole creation remains, and the beauty of every human person remains. So I think this is an indication of how we can answer those problems, that God is not a person, but there is personal relationship within the Godhead, and that the whole principle of differentiation is in the Godhead, and is the cause of all the differences in this world, which are real and are willed by God, and that the creation is moving back to God, back to this non-duality, when we retain our individuality and our, our distinctions that are all united in that experience of non-duality, you see. Now, mind you, you know, we're using words, try to point, but uh, they're all inadequate. But I hope you see the, what's behind it. I mean, all the words we're using are terms of analogy. We can't express that great mystery. But we can point to it. And some pointers will be much more adequate than others. And it does seem to me that the doctrine of the Trinity is the supreme indicator of this mystery of the Godhead, you see. 
And that, furthermore, the um, doctrine of creation, that the world comes forth from God, is distinct from God and depends on God, has no reality in itself apart from God. You see, Shankar is perfectly right. This world, apart from God, has no reality. It's a pure illusion. It's a maya. And we're simply deceiving ourselves when we think this table is real. It's standing there by itself. It's simply a part of the whole cosmic order, which to totally depends on the spirit who is present in all. So we're all members of this whole. And the Trinity gives us the key to the whole creation. And it gives us also the key to incarnation. You see, Jesus is not just one of the avatars. The, the difference is in the world are willed by God. You see, for a Hindu, Rama, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, all, all the same, you see, all simply manifestations which ultimately are the same. But for us, the Buddha is, uh, has his enlightenment and is one of the great revealers of the world, you see, and has a message for all mankind. And the seers of the Upanishads had this illumination from God. They were enlightened seers and they revealed mysteries of Godhead to us. But they're all distinct, you see. And Jesus comes within the tradition of a particular people to whom God revealed himself in a particular way. See, Israel is God's revelation in history. I'm sure if any of you have done a scripture course, they always emphasize that. God revealing himself in history. And history is unique, you see. That people is unique, their history is unique. And Jesus is a unique human being at a particular time, at a particular place, undergoing death at a particular moment of time, you see. It's absolutely unique, you see, that person. So Jesus does not disappear in the Godhead. At the ascension, he doesn't disappear in the Godhead, but his human nature, his human body is transfigured, his human soul is transfigured, body and soul are taken up into the life of the spirit, and that body, that soul, the humanity of Christ is ever-present in the Godhead as something distinct, you see. It's eternal in the Godhead, just as you and I will be eternal in the Godhead. So Trinity, Incarnation, Redemption, they all gather their meaning, it seems to me, in this context. And this is how I see that we could formulate an Indian Christian theology. So the last point I'd make is that uh, this distinction in unity applies to the whole mystical body of Christ. You see, what we're seeking is each to be a distinct person within that body, and yet all alike sharing the one life of the one body, cells in the one body, inspired by the one spirit, and united with the one head, you see. We all form this unity. And the more we grow in that Christ life, the more we realize this non-duality, the more we realize that though we're distinct, yet we are one, you see, and we are one in Christ. So that would be the understanding of the Christian revelation in the light of Vedanta. And I offer it to you for reflection to see how we could interpret our Christian faith in a way which would be intelligible to the Hindu and which to me at least makes the Christian doctrine more intelligible. Because I think for many people the Trinity is just a, a puzzle. It's not a mystery, it's a puzzle, how <laughs> three in one. And very often the incarnation is understood in a in a very crude way, you know. Karl Rahner always says, and most Catholics are monophysites. They, they think that Jesus is God who appears on earth and then goes back to heaven, you see. Just like Krishna, he appears on earth and 
manifest and then he disappears again into the Godhead. But that is not the Christian revelation. And it's so much more profound, you see, and so much more real. And it's, it's God entering into the context of human life, of human history, of our own life, our own history, our own suffering, our own death. God enters into the total human reality and takes that total human reality into his own life, into his own being, knowledge, and bliss. See, we share in that Satchit Ananda. This concludes Father Griffith's third presentation. The fourth, This World and the Absolute Reality, is on the next cassette in numbered order.